Welcome to Syntax, where we deliver tasty treats for web developers. Welcome to Syntax episode number four. Thanks so much for joining us. Today's episode is going to be all about JavaScript tooling. We're going to dive into a bunch of the different things in the tooling landscape and sort of explain what they are and what you, when you might use them. There's been a lot of new stuff that has come out lately, and I think that this is going to be great to, to catch you up to speed with, with whatever's going on. Um, this episode is sponsored by Delicious Brains. We're uh, serious podcasters now that we have a sponsor. And Delicious Brains has a plugin called WP Migrate DB Pro, which is great when you want to move a WordPress. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it is um, a little bit through the show. But thanks to them for sponsoring. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? Oh, doing good. Uh, getting over cold here, but feeling good today. Feeling, uh, feeling like normal. How about you? I'm doing really, really well. I, uh, I'm in uh, in between vacation right now. I, I just had a, I was down in Georgia for a vacation, and uh, I'm back for a week to to cool things off, and then I'm gonna go back to a, another cottage uh, with my family. So I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about our lo- podcast launch because the way that we did is we recorded three episodes and then we launched it, and now we're uh, recording the fourth and the fifth episode. Um, and it's it's gone surprisingly well. It's I've been super happy with uh, the the numbers, the response from people, um, just sort of everything uh, that that's been around the launch. So I want to say a huge thanks to to everyone who helped spread the word, uh, tweet it out, uh, leave a review on iTunes, whatever it is. A lot of people don't use iTunes, but they booted it up anyways. Just. <laughs> Yeah, uh, seriously, thank you. Uh, I mean, the response even on, on Twitter and all that stuff has just been extremely positive, and uh, it, it's just such great. It's so great to see um, just so many you know positive things said about uh, the podcast so far, and it's amazing knowing that you know we did these first three episodes, and uh, you know they're only going to get a little bit better, a little bit uh, more cohesive, a little bit more polished every single time. So it's like, we did these three episodes and, and this thing's only going to get better from here on out. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to end up. Absolutely. Like I, I'm a professional explainer of things, but when I record my own screencast, I can just like, oh, that was a poor explanation so I can cut it and redo it. But with a podcast, it's a little bit more, uh, we don't do a whole lot of editing on it. So uh, I'm excited for this podcast to make me better at sort of just casual conversation and and, uh, doing things in a single take. Yeah, likewise. Cool. So uh, what are you working on these days, Scott? Yeah, so a whole ton. Yeah, so basically, uh, I had some issues with my two sites, the Level Up Store and the Level Up site. And these these bugs or these issues were coming with package versions and stuff like that. They were getting just harder to manage over time. And um, the last thing I, I, I wanted to do was just to string these bugs along forever and ever and ever. So I decided to do this giant merge of the store and the site. So... They used to be two entirely separate sites. They used a, an iframe and a, a, um, a JSON web token to manage reactive logins between the two sites. And it just got really complex. So I, I moved it off of store.leveluptuts.com to leveluptutorials.com slash store. And uh, that was a huge process because of both routing. Uh, I had to merge, like, I don't know, um, 
like 40 plus uh, React components into an entire <laughs> new uh, site. The good news is they already shared a database. So yeah. it was just mostly about moving that that front end and those that back end methods and stuff like that, uh, making sure everything still worked. But it was a absolutely major, major migration and definitely caused, you know, a little bit of, you know, headaches here and there. Uh, I also moved off of an apex domain to www after like seeing that uh there's a lot of positives to being on www over you know just leveluptutorials.com really what what are they um you want to go to like um there's a, a yes hyphen www.org yeah uh it is a is a pretty long explanation about why you would rather use www, but it has to do more with like sites growing in size. Uh, uh -huh. There's a lot of things with cookies and with sharing things from. Uh, basically, if you were to use a subdomain, like if I were to use, uh, you know, forum.leveluptutorials.com, it's going to be yeah. way easier for me to integrate that into the site with, uh, you know, things like cookies with using www then it would be the apex domain uh. in addition like a lot of services like heroku uh and the service i moved to the site deploy to uh which is meteors galaxy service their hosting service yeah they 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 definitely they they both recommend not using apex domains just because of how their systems work but they they link it to a whole bunch of good stuff but after reading through it it's just like well, this stuff isn't isn't a huge deal for me, but it maybe will be. And um, if it's going to make my life easier to move to www on these hosting platforms and just bite again, bite the bullet, do it, get it going over all with. in, yeah, yeah. So it was a huge process. I ended up having to re uh, write a like an nginx config on a DigitalOcean box to handle redirects for HTTPS. Oh, that's always just a nightmare. I got a whole bunch of emails because I sent out your email your website when you relaunched it and a whole bunch of people said that the link wasn't working because I guess you were in the middle of that. It was the day of, yeah. And like, uh, <laughs> it was bad timing on my part, 100% bad timing. But like, yeah, it, it was funny because HTTP worked, uh, but HTTPS did not redirect because of the SSL was saying it was invalid. So yeah, it was, a, it's a whole thing. <laughs> but it's it's all good now. Everything's up and running. So, and, you know, in hindsight, it was the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. That that should be another episode. It's like, uh, we'll talk about like clearly uninformed two guys trying to manage servers or like. Oh, God. Yeah. Which is one of the right reasons Nginx I moved configs. off of my, my DigitalOcean config. It's just like, I just got tired of managing it, you know, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in the sort of in the same space as well where I have. Uh, I have one server myself and um, I'm like, what if this like thing goes down? Like I can just deploy my application anywhere, but, uh, and the setup is really, really easy because it's, it's all in node and I can just NPM install, NPM start and get up and running. So I'm, I'm sort of in the process of making it a little bit more flexible. And the first thing that I did is move to a, like a floating IP address so right. that I can like deploy to another another box or droplet and then just cut over the IP address to that, um, which is pretty, pretty neat. So I'm, I'm uh, yeah. in the process of that. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Well, let's talk about JavaScript tooling. Uh, we're going to go into uh, not everything. There's all kinds of different JavaScript tooling, but some of the stuff that relates to 
front end JavaScript development. So we're going to talk about modular bundle. We're going <laughs> to talk about module bundlers um, and then things like Babel, linting, uh, prettier, Babely, Babbly, prepack, all kinds of different stuff where like you might have heard people talking about this and it'll be, you probably know what Webpack is, but some of these other ones you uh, might not necessarily know what it is. So we're going to take our best stab at explaining what they are and, and when you might want to use them. So um, let's kick it off talking about our module bundlers. We'll start off with Webpack. That's sort of the, the big one in the room now. Um, mm -hmm. Previously before that, there, there's a couple other ones. You have Browserify and Rollup and, and whatnot. But Webpack seems to be uh, really winning that race right now. And it does a whole bunch of stuff. And I think that's why there's a lot of confusion around what it actually does. But at its core, it's what's called a module bundler, where it will take your JavaScript modules, uh, whether you write them in ES6 or something like CommonJS, um, and it will compile them into um, either one JavaScript file or many JavaScript files. Um, and it has this concept of, it has a whole bunch of different concepts, has a dev server built in and all these other helpful things. But uh, probably the biggest one is it has a concept of loaders, where uh, your JavaScript modules can import any type of file, whether you're importing JavaScript or whether you're importing uh, CSS, and then the loader is instructed how to or what to do to that actual um, that actual module. So if it's CSS, it will convert it and inline it, or it'll convert it and put it into a separate CSS file. So uh, that's really the big one, and a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today is um, is something that you would use with Webpack. Um, so yeah, I know Webpack is. I'm I'm not a huge expert at it. I've been using it for a couple of years now, and every single time that I try to build my own Webpack config, I end up very confused. So um, I know that there's some some big stuff happening right now around education around Webpack just to distill it because it is this super powerful tool, but it also is this like very complex thing, and it's really hard to to reason about. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of copying and pasting going on when you're <laughs> when you're doing your webpack configs. And for me, I I honestly feel like I feel like a lot of that confusion is is I you know I hate to drop the word syntax, but it's I think it's all syntax related. You know, I mean they they use a lot of jargony terms like loaders and stuff like that. And I think when you get into some jargony stuff, yeah. Uh, it it in inherently makes it a little bit more difficult. I always felt like um, other, you know, some build tools like Gulp had things a little bit more like transparent, what was going on exactly. Yeah. But only because it was just state, you know, straight JavaScript. Hey, you know, that said, it's it's one of those things that if you look at a Webpack config long enough, you're going to understand what's going on. Uh, if you obviously know what's you know, the, the root of everything and what's happening, it's, it's easy to pick up, but at first glance, it's definitely not necessarily the, um, the most obvious at, at first glance, I would say, but you know, that's just how it, how it is. Yeah, exactly. And, and while we're talking about that, let's, let's talk about like, what's the difference between Webpack and something like Gulp or Grunt? Because, uh, what I hear from a lot of people is like, I was so happy with Gulp. Yeah. Yeah, right. And now you're making me change to Webpack and I'm extremely frustrated because I don't understand what's going on. So like like what are the the main differences between the two? I, I guess that Grunt and Gulp were what you call a task runner, or right. they are task runners. I still use Gulp quite a bit. I really like it. 
Um, yeah. And by themselves, they they don't do anything. They're they're actually the one thing that you can do with Gulp on its own is is get a file and then move it to another folder. That's all that Gulp does <laughs> uh, by itself. Um, but then you go ahead and you go out and you get all these different plugins that you sort of pipe your your content through. You, you transform it. Maybe you have SAS, turn it into CSS, and then you run that through Auto Prefixer. And then at the end of the day, you you actually output it. Right. It's a very much you you put in something, you get something out. Right. You put your C, your SAS or your stylus in, you get CSS out, minified, whatever. Um, it's it's simply just taking your files and transforming them, you know. Exactly. And and Webpack does that as well, but it also is um, a first-class module bundler. So if you mm-hmm. have JavaScript modules or um, if you have CSS, then uh, it will know how to handle those things. And via loaders, it will encounter a type of file and it will know exactly what to do. And that, that was a big hang-up for me because I was always like, like, where do I put the files into Webpack? And the big changing moment for me was that you don't put files into Webpack and get something out. It's that Webpack will encounter different types of files mm-hmm. in your modules that you imported. Um, and then it, because it knows about loaders, it will know actually how to handle them. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just really, uh, you know, it's, it's the next next step here because uh, primarily when Gulp and, and Grunt were getting popular, you were building single page apps, but they yep. weren't these like giant monolithic, like huge JavaScript files essentially at that point. And if they were, you were probably doing a lot of more custom tooling to get that into a, a, a better situation. And now, you know, I mean, everyone's writing big React or Angular apps and, and um just this module loading overall becomes so much a more important aspect of uh, the build process itself. Yeah, because you can do bundle splitting and tree shaking, and we'll have a whole episode explaining what all those things are. But there is a lot more to what Webpack can do in terms of building a performant website that is is really really going to help you out. So um, I, I would say to those who are are still really frustrated at Webpack. And I I don't think that Webpack is going to be something that absolutely everybody needs to learn. I think that what is going to, and what is happening is that you're going to start to use tools like Next.js or Create React App or whatever it is. And you're just going to use the tool that sits on top of it. And someone much smarter than you or I is going to build that tool. And uh, it's just going to work for the purpose that we, we needed to. And you and you won't have to touch it unless you need something custom, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I like how Next.js does it where you they'll expose a next config that will sort of fold into the underlying webpack, but they don't they don't drop the whole thing on your lap and say good luck. It's, uh, it's tough to to get up and running with, right? <laughs> yeah. So I you know I, I've mentioned Meteor a couple of times on this uh, podcast so far, and it's one of the things I really like about it is their their build tool, which you know many times in the community they were trying to get them to move over to Webpack, but uh, their build tool is actually uh, really one of the most unique, exciting things about it. It's this sort of zero configuration build tool where you you get things uh, basically if you want to use SAS, you just do Meteor add SAS in your terminal. It adds a SAS package and you never think about it. You don't write a config file. You don't say to, hey, look at these style, style files or whatever. Um, in addition, like you have 
things like di- uh, like exact code bundling. So if you're using these dynamic imports uh, and stuff like that, there's no overlap in your JavaScript bundles. They're like exact, exact sizes to your bundles. It does all that bundling for you. You don't have to write a single line of config and I never have to think about it. Um, so like you said, I think that's you know where a lot of this stuff is going is these really opinionated tools that sort of handle uh, all this stuff basically for you. And then if you need to expand upon it, obviously you can. You can write your own uh, ISO build, which is Meteor's build tool. If you, if you, you can write your own ISO build plugins that do all this stuff for you and expose all that if you want. But for the most part, you just flat out don't need to. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's, that should be where things are going. Cause you know, there, there's a certain type of person that loves to write a ton of config files and stuff like that. <laughs> and I am to some extent, but man, uh, I, I can't, I can't get into it for too long. Yeah. We're not doing stuff. That's all that unique. So I, I don't s- sort of see the reason why every single person needs to make their own, own build. Right. Right. Exactly. Reinventing so. the wheel every time. Yeah. Cool. So once you have a build tool in place, then it's time to sort of run around and start picking up all these different tools that work with your build. And and probably the biggest uh, use of that is Babel or Babel, however you say it. It's it is Babel. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I say Babel. Babel. So <clears throat> do you, do you want to take a stab at explaining what it is and and why you might want to use it? Yeah. So I mean. My understanding of Babel, uh, and correct me if I'm saying anything incorrect here, is is really that it's it's transforming your your JavaScript into essentially JavaScript that will be readable by most browsers, um, and so it you can write JavaScript of tomorrow today. You can write ES6. You can write ES2017 uh, or however you're defining your. ES builds. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can you can write that that next year of ES code and use features that might not be totally finalized or even stuff that is finalized and not in a browser yet. You can write that code and not have to worry about uh, the not working on some browsers here or there. It's basically just making that code. You know, you can write the code you want to write without having to worry about it working. Yeah, exactly. And actually, Babel used to be called back in the day, I think it was three or four years ago, it was called 625, where it would take your ES6 code and compile it down to ES5. And they actually moved away from it being just that one thing. And um, it's, it's now sort of like a general JavaScript compiler where you can pick how you can pick the different transforms that your JavaScript will be compiled down to. So the the biggest use case is uh, React, where uh, you can write JSX, which is like kind of like you write HTML tags inside of your JavaScript. And obviously that's not valid JavaScript, but uh, by running it through Babel with the React preset turned on, um, it will then compile down your JSX to the equivalent whatever React create element is. Um, and the when it really clicked for me um, just a couple weeks ago when I saw that somebody had written a PHP to JavaScript transform <laughs> in Babel. And it, the guy, I, I wish I could find the tweet, but the guy who said, like, I'm like, he obviously it was a huge joke, um, but it just really solidified the idea that you can write anything 
even if it's PHP, and we talked about this with uh, post-CSS, kind of the same idea, you can literally write anything like, and then uh, write a preset or a plugin that will interpret your PHP, and then the preset will conf- uh, transform it into uh, your your end JavaScript that you're you're actually looking for. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I I actually had a, a moment the other day where I was I was doing something and I felt like I was just typing the same thing over and over again, and I was like, really for a second I was like, well, should I just write like a plugin to just <laughs> <laughs> somehow write a shorthand that that converts this for me? And then I I obviously decided against it, but it it was like a couple of moments where I was like was this a good idea or is this a terrible idea? You know, it's easy to have those when you're the only person on a code base. You don't have to yeah. deal with other people's like looks at you about these one off, uh, you know, plugins you might make. Yeah, Obviously exactly. it's no PHP to JavaScript. But <laughs> <laughs> um, w- one thing I wanted to say about Babel is that, um, so there, there are plugins and then there are like, there's plugins to support template tags. There's plugins to support, um, uh, the new for loops in ES6. There's plugins to support classes, and they'll all compile them down. And then the collections of those plugins are called presets. Um, and the big ones that everyone was using was uh, preset 20 ES2015 and mm-hmm. preset React. Um, but uh, what is moving to now, and, and the Babel team is trying to get everybody to move over to this, is using just preset env, ENV. Um, and what that will do is is much like auto prefixer um, with CSS, where auto prefixer with CSS, you say like, "Hey, I'm supporting these versions of IE in Chrome, um, so ap- apply the CSS accordingly." So um, the preset M for Babel will you you can tell it, "Okay, I'm I'm compiling to React, or I'm compiling to." Uh, the last two versions of the browser, or I'm converting to React or um, Node, and then it will figure out for you. Let's say you, I'm supporting the last two versions of every browser. It will say, "Oh, okay. Well, we don't actually need to compile uh, some of this stuff. You can just run it straight away in in ES6. You don't need to have to compile everything mm-hmm. down. Um, and then you also don't have to do that whole dance where you figure out." Like, do I need to compile this or or don't I? And and sort of what everyone was doing is they just compile absolutely everything because they don't right. have to think about it. But this will will do the hard work of figuring out what needs to be compiled and what doesn't need to be compiled without uh, installing all the plugins yourself. Yeah, another uh, another move towards less configuration, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So uh, I was, I was pretty happy about that. Are there any plugins you have to live with? Oh, you can't live without in a in a, in Babel. Yeah, is there something that you have to have on every project? Um, no, actually, I I used to dive into like the stage zero, stage one, stage two, which is like stuff that might be coming to JavaScript mm-hmm. but isn't. Like I was like super into decorators like like a year or two ago, and then like it kind of got yanked back, and they're like, oh, we might actually not get to decorators. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Uh, I sort of hold off on on touching stuff until it is totally uh, totally set to Definitive. be in the language. Exactly. What yeah. about you? I, I still use decorators. Um, I use decorators to bring in all my data, so I, I'm I'm pretty set on on enjoying decorators still. <laughs> uh, other than that, I pretty much I use this uh, transform class properties plugin. Um, yep. 
for the like, static declaration of prop types and default props in React. Uh, uh, so that, or even just state equals object instead of having to do it in the constructor. I, I prefer that syntax for my uh, React yeah, yeah. components. So yeah, for me, it's it's nothing too wild. Pretty much those are it. Uh, transform decorators and uh, class properties. It's it's worth, um, if you want to like see what some of the, the good ones are or what the ones that people are using is start up a, a quick create React app and then eject from it, and then take a look at which mm-hmm. presets that Create React app is using, because it does have some of this these more edge casey stuff that makes writing React a lot more pleasant. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love all those the new syntax changes and stuff like that. I know some people can get a little overwhelmed when even you are moving from the React Create class to you know the class syntax. But to me, those are yeah. all upgrades. You know. Uh, that's a, a nicer way to write the code, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. So let's let's move on to the next one, which is linting. We're going to talk about linting, and then we're going to talk about uh, a new. It's not really a linter, but it's it's something called prettier. So um, let's talk about linting. Es lint. What is linting, Scott? Uh, linting basically looks over your code and finds bugs. Uh, it finds things that are uh, based on your configuration, uh, stuff that it it. It might be concerned about stuff that it definitely should be concerned about. You can basically set all these rules to say, hey, I always want to use semicolons. So that way, when you're writing your file and the file doesn't see a semicolon or the linter doesn't see a semicolon where it thinks there should be one, it's going to warn you. It's going to warn you through your your code editor. It's going to warn you visually. Uh, maybe it'll do like a red underline or something like that or add it to a list of issues in your code. Uh, you can even set your, depending on your text editor, you can set it to auto fix, which I do. You know, if if you have it to auto fix everything on save, you save your thing. It doesn't have a semicolon. It's going to know that it needs to add one and add one for you. So yep. uh, linting it makes, uh, it, you know, if. There was a, a time in my life before linting where you would save a file and you wouldn't know if it would work because you'd think it would work and then you'd refresh the page and there'd be a, an error or something like that. And and uh, that's just a, a bad way to do things, right? Yeah, it sort of <laughs> catches it catches the possible errors before you actually hit the browser. Right. It catches all those those errors that people just despise when you're writing code, right? It's the stuff that shouldn't be breaking because it's yeah. it's, it's not an issue with your implementation or uh, of the code itself. It's an implement it's like a issue with maybe just a typo or something like that here and there. Um, yeah. And yeah, I rely on linting very heavily. My ES lint is a serious business for me, I think. Yeah, so th- the way that you have it is you ESLint is the big one. There there was before that there was JSLint and JSHint. Hint, yeah. And every language out there has a linter. Um, and all of these linters in, enforce both formatting, which is like make sure you use two spaces or you didn't indent this properly or uh, you started your variable with a capital. Mm-hmm. So those are all just sort of like nitpicky formatting thing, which is great when you're on a team to enforce some sort of consistent styling. Um, and then it also has like code quality things, things that will actually break your code, which is uh, improper scoping, uh, forgetting some sort of syntax, maybe you forgot a curly bracket. It's gonna you're gonna catch that before you actually hit the browser. 
Um, you use a variable name twice, whatever, all these different things. And, and you have an ESLint file where you turn these rules on and off. And uh, what I'll, I find with a lot of beginners is that they turn it on and then it, it tells you that like all of your code is garbage. <laughs> just, like I remember turning it on for the first time and I was like, why do people do this? This sucks. <laughs> but uh, what you do really have to spend some time uh, putting together uh, a, a list of rules that you do and do not want because um, by default, if you turn them all on, uh, you might think like, that's that's totally fine. I'm fine with like leaving off a semicolon or I'm fine with, um, I can't think of, of which ones I've, I should just open up mine. Yeah, I have um, mine open right now. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but there, there are, there are presets that you can, you can get where like Airbnb is, is a big popular one. That's the one that I sort of based mine off. I, I use, yeah, I extend the Airbnb one and then I have several rules overriding it. But yeah, Airbnb ESLint config is uh, is definitely a good go-to. Yeah, and it, it also includes a whole bunch of rules for writing React as well. Uh, so like some formatting things like which order do your lifecycle methods come in? Like do you mm -hmm. put the render before a component should mount? It'll yell at you. Yeah, and, and whether or not you've defined your uh, prop types. So if you haven't defined your prop types on a prop, it's going uh, yeah. to let you know. And uh, you Sure, know, you, if you write this.props.name, it'll be like, hey, you did not declare a prop type. You do that first. Yeah, I know. It, <laughs> it, it shames you into writing prop types. Uh, exactly. Cool. So uh, I don't know, any other stuff about linting that uh, you're a big fan of? Yeah, like I said, I'm a big fan of having it auto fix everything. If you have your rules set up very tightly, you save your files, it formats it for you, everything looks very nice. Um, and then you have to worry about that less, right? Like when you save a file, you don't have to worry about whether your line was tabbed correctly, because the moment you hit save, it's going to tab it correctly for you. You know, exactly. And that's yeah. just this little time saver stuff. It's little uh, bug removal stuff that it makes it just totally invaluable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to take a second and talk about our sponsors. This is the first, it's the first sponsorship read I've ever done. Um, they, I don't know, they gave me a little thing to read, but they said I can also sort of riff on it. And the, the company that is sponsored is called Delicious Brains, and they make a product called Migrate DB Pro, which is a WordPress plugin that will help you get your WordPress from one location, whether it's local host or a server, to another location, which is most likely a production or uh, development server that you need to get it up and running. And I've actually been using this for years and years, which is pretty cool. I thought they wanted to sponsor the podcast. So um, the way that it works is that when you have a WordPress or when you have any CMS, your your links are all hard-coded to the URL of that uh, thing. So you might have localhost 3000 just in your database 20,000 times. And the way that we used to do it in the olden days was you take a dump of your database and, and you run some sort of big find and replace on your database for localhost and you replace that string with uh, whatever it is on your production. And you hold um, your breath. And well, you hold your breath and then you <laughs> screw it up because you forgot a colon or a, a forward slash and then the whole thing comes crashing down and you 
just re- you you started thinking about maybe just going into a different yeah career altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I've been doing for the last I've done quite a bit of WordPress in my past is that your theme goes in Git and you can deploy that and that's nice and and clean. But um, there's sort of this area where your data. Uh, needs to go from one server to another, and uh, how do you actually migrate that from one to another when you have all these paths? So, um, Migrate DB Pro, will you install this plugin on your remote WordPress and your local WordPress, and then you can either push or pull the data from one install to your other install, and it's going to take everything along with, it's going to take all of your data, all of your users, all of your passwords, um, and do all of that find and replace for you without you having to uh, export a file and import a file and do the find and replace um, by yourself. So um, it's amazing. It used to take me like an hour or an hour and a half to migrate to WordPress. And and now I've got it set up on tons of websites and you just, you hit the migrate button and it, it, it does, it's does its thing in a minute or two or, or not even a minute or two and it, it's up and running. Yeah. Time savers like that. Amazing. Yeah. Pretty, pretty happy about it. They also have this like media files add on, which is because like I always say like your code goes in Git and then your your data is in the database. But then you have this like sort of gray area, which is like when you upload a file to the WordPress backend. Right. Like, does that go in in your Git? But like what happens if you like upload a file locally and then you need that local file on remote? But then there's like remote files that can't get overwritten. FTP, drag and drop. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, well, that's exactly. And then you're like, like keep both. And so what this will do is uh, it will also push up your media files, all of your uploads that you've uploaded to the WordPress backend. And then if there are unnecessary media files on any of the servers, it will also remove them, which is, is pretty neat. So. Uh, huge. I think that a lot of people who do WordPress are already using this plugin, but if you're not, um, check it out. They've given us, what, 20% off deliciousbrains.com forward slash syntax. We'll get you 25 or 20% off your order. Cool. Cool. That, how, how was that? First sponsorship read ever? Did I, did I convince you, Scott? Uh, yeah, I think, well, I think the tool convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> not no. me good yeah <laughs> no just the tool kidding. Doesn't no, I, I know I, I thought it was an excellent excellent uh description of uh delicious brains migrate db cool. pro awesome all right so let's talk about um the next one which is prettier this just came out i don't know a couple of months ago um and it's kind of cool that scott was just talking about ESLint fixing his code um, and there are a number of things that ESLint will will do like add in a semicolon if you forgot it or uh, reindent your code, um, but when you're when you're talking about prettier, prettier is kind of like ESLint, except that it only does the visual formatting part. So it doesn't do any of the scoping issues or any of the actual bug stuff that comes up. But there's this a sort of second half to to linting, which is you spend a lot of time like, oh, I forgot a space in front of my curly bracket or, oh, we we don't put a space between the colon and the property, but we do after. And all these little nitpicky stuff when you, you submit a pull request and your team goes through it and they're like, oh, nitpick, sorry, but I put a, a you have to put a space there. And it's just super unnecessary. So what Prettier will do is you set all these different rules 
uh, and then you run your code through it and it will just fix it all for you. So there's, it's not going to tell you what's wrong. It'll just fix it for you. So if your line length is too long, or if you have a, a function with too many arguments, it will just put it onto the next line and all of these different visual formatting issues, you can code in whatever format you like. And then before you check it in to Git, it will just format it to your team's standard prettier style. Yeah, these kind of tools are, are again, they're time savers because now you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to go back into that pull request and say, hey, fix this minor formatting issue, you know, that you overlooked. Uh, because everybody on their, your team is all using the same tools to auto fix your code in these different ways. It's, it's just one less thing you have to worry about. And not to mention, you'll open up someone else's file and it's going to look like your file. Um, exactly. For the most part, you know. And I, I think this is huge for um, beginners. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I, I don't, I'm just learning to code. I don't need a tool like this. But um, I, I think it's even better because a lot of times beginners, the code will be really messy. And then you're like, my feedback is always like, clean this up. It's a little bit messy. But like, if, it, if there's a tool that will just immediately make it a lot cleaner for you, um, without you having to figure out how does indentation work and, and what do you put on a new line versus not, um, it, will, it will really help you out. So you can set it up with all of your code editors so that every time you hit save, it will just immediately format it to uh, your liking. Yeah, and there's an ESLint plugin, so it drops right into ESLint. And if you have your ESLint configured and everything like that, you don't even have to touch any of that stuff. Um, it's all, it's all good. But like, I mean, even like you said there with new, uh, like new, new coders, right? I mean, the sooner you get used to looking at pretty code or code that's yeah. formatted in the same way that all these other companies are, the better it's going to be for you because that's training your brain to read that code in that specific way. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, you'll know if something looks weird in the future, you know? So check that out. It's called prettier. Um, next up, we got Bat Bat Babley Babley. Babe, I don't know. Yeah, Babley Babley. Um, this one is is very simple. Um, it's before what we would do to minify our code is we would use Uglify, and Uglify would just like if you have a variable like first name and you use the variable first name like six or seven times, then that could possibly make your code very long. So what it will do is it will take out all the um, it'll take out dead code. It will take out uh, using that first name variable and replace it with a, a variable called A. It'll minify your code to be as small as possible. Um, the problem with Uglify is that it doesn't understand ES6 code. And as we're starting to actually ship ES6 code to the browser, um, people are running into this issue where Uglify can't handle arrow functions or something like that. So uh, Babel is... It's built on Babel, um, and then it will just minify your ESX code for you. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's another one of those things. You use it. You got to use it. Um, it does what it's got to do, and it uh, it does it well. Cool. Um, next up, we have one called Prepack, which is, again, it's it, one cool thing about Babel is that all of these different JavaScript tooling projects are growing out of Babel. Um, and prepack is another one that sort of came out. Have you you've seen this at all, Scott? I've seen it, but I don't know too much about it to be honest. So they call it a. Let me open up the website. It's a prepack.io. 
Um, they call it a tool for making JavaScript code run faster. And essentially what it is is that it will run your JavaScript code and figure out anything that could be run beforehand in a compile step. So uh, a simple example is like, let's say you had somewhere in your code where you're like uh, var dog age equals 10 times 7. And then every time your JavaScript runs, it will have to do 10 times 7 and then put it into the age variable. What prepack will do is it will just say var dog age equals 70. So it will be like, oh, that that's simple. Why would I have to run that every single time? The end result will always be the same. Um, why don't I just stick that into an actual variable? So I guess JavaScript can be a little bit slower when you've got all of these little things that need to be run every single page load. Um, and it will figure out what those things are and run them and then just make it into a, a variable for you. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's optimizing your code for how the browser likes to read and handle JavaScript code. And I, I didn't realize it says that the um, related technologies, Clojure Compiler is a related technology. Uh, and Clojure Compiler, for those who don't know, is a project by Google that does essentially the same kind of thing. Um, but the benefits are are pretty unreal. I mean, you know, you, you just get better code efficiency overall. Um, mm -hmm. So either of those projects um, definitely. It, it, it looks worth. like in a lot of cases, it also makes your code much smaller uh, as well, which is great because you don't need to calculate these things. So it just throws out that code to calculate it and, and just saves the actual end result of it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I think tools like this are, are going to be more common. Uh, they're going to be more used just because. Uh, anything that is going to get you performance boosts and uh, efficiency boosts is going to be worthwhile to add to your project. Cool. So that I believe is all of the tools that we're going to talk about today. Um, I actually, I have a whole tooling talk that is things like image compression and mm. dead code elimination. So we'll have to do another one of these that are not so JavaScript focused, but more website tooling focused or web app tooling focused. Yeah, because um, so, there, there's so much there. Yeah, yeah. I, image compression alone, I, there's just so much to, to learn about that can really boost up your website. So we'll we'll put that on the list for sure. Easy, um, free gains right there. Free performance <laughs> gains. Free gains comes for free. Yeah. All right, let's talk about sick pics. <laughs> okay, this is the section of the show where we talk about we pick something that is sick and that we we like to recommend to you. So yeah. I don't know, Scott, why don't you uh, start yours off? Yeah, my uh, sick pick is a Figma. So you gotta do figma.com to check it out. Uh, so what is Figma? It's basically like uh, you've used Illustrator, you've used Sketch, you've used all these other illustrative apps for doing web design, UX design, and stuff like that. Uh, Figma is actually browser-based. So the good thing about it being browser-based is that it's cross-platform. You can use it on any platform. There's an Electron app. It functions very nicely. But you could think of it as just a design app for web stuff, um, uh, web stuff, mobile stuff, pretty much anything. I use it to design my thumbnails for my YouTube channel. And it's awesome. 
uh, it's basically they they took a lot of the features that people really liked in something like Sketch and and built upon them. So you have a component based design flow where it, if you used to meet if you're like me and you're used to thinking in React components and stuff like that or just component based development. Uh, yeah. Figma handles design the same way. You you're making these components. You can make versions of these components. You can modify these components. You can set uh, you know, sort of rules on them. Like this component's always going to be pinned to the top left, whatever. And then when you do your mobile design or whatever, you can stretch the canvas and the component stretches with the canvas. Uh, so so it's, it's basically a very powerful web UI design, uh, all that sort of stuff platform. And it's become my main design tool. I'm, I'm doing a, a freelance project, a full my first full-time uh, freelance project design in Figma right now. And wow. I just am so uh, I'm so into how nice it works, like wow, uh, moving between layouts and pages and stuff like that. So a uh, big, big fan. There's a lot of a uh, lot of features I didn't touch on. There's like shared components and styles throughout your team. Um, there's some really, really, really cool stuff there. Cool. I'll have to check this out. I had never heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't. And then when I when I when I did hear about it, I was like, Okay, you know, I, I'm happy with Sketch, and then I started using it. And I'm like, I'm happy with Figma. Like, this is really sweet. So, uh, I'm, I've been on it pretty hard lately. Wow. So, what what would you use Sketch for that this doesn't do, or no, is there nothing? Um, it, nothing really. Yeah, this wow. even has some like built-in prototyping features where you can like uh, set up hotspots and do like a presentation view and click between your designs like you would in Envision or something yeah. like that. Uh, so uh, it's replacing Sketch in my toolbox right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I, I mostly just use the Electron app, but the browser version's great too. That's pretty much the same thing. It's really it's pretty inspiring to see this as a browser tool. Just how yeah. how awesome it is. Uh, it, looking at this application in the browser makes me feel like uh, the browser is capable of so so much. Wow, and that's really cool because like the one downside to Sketch for me is that there's no Windows. So yeah, uh, cross platform, I would, man. I would love to see a cla- a cross platform thing come out. Like Sketch that yeah. everybody can use, and, and there's a you know it's a little bit different. Things aren't necessarily where you'd expect them to be in certain in certain places or whatever. If you're coming from that, but yeah. uh, the moment you get used to it and it starts to feel comfortable, uh, yeah, it's feeling very comfortable to me right now. I'm really liking cool. it. Awesome, I'm gonna check that out. Figma, f i g m a dot com. Yeah, check it out. <clears throat> so my sick pick. Today is um, a docking station for my new laptop. So I got the uh, the new MacBook Pro with the, all the USB-Cs and living the dongle life. Um, and I have a pretty complicated setup here. I've got uh, two external monitors. I've got some external USB audio equipment. I've got a printer. I've got a couple hard drives. I've got, uh, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. And... What sucks about that is that you have to plug all of the stuff in when you throw it on your uh, your desk and you want to work from your monitors. So um, one of the promises of Thunderbolt 3 and, and USB-C is that you can have one plug for charging, for monitors, for USB, for, for absolutely everything. And uh, 
it's it's finally coming to fruition where I got this thing called the CalDigit TS3i, I believe it is. And it's it's super expensive. It was I think it was like 350 bucks and then I got hit with duty. It was it was probably about 400 bucks Canadian at the end of the day. Um which is ridiculous because that's you can get a Windows laptop for that much. <laughs> but uh it finally has happened where I put the stock on my desk. I plug in all of my USB stuff. I also plugged in another USB hub. Um, and I plugged in all of my monitors. And then you plug that thing into the wall. And then you have one single USB 3, or I guess it's technically Thunderbolt 3. And you plug it in, and all of your USB stuff works. The laptop starts charging, and both monitors are powered. Uh, which is incredible that it actually works. And I'm amazed that there's no like, I don't know. I feel like my entire life I've had to plug USB stuff in and out, in and out you just to make it work. Yeah, you don't want to see my desk right now. I have like, <laughs> it, you know, it's one of those things, the cables get so over time, you know, you plug them in, you plug them out, whatever. And then you have to eventually just like rewire the whole thing because yeah, it's just so much. Yeah. So I've been super happy with it so far. Um, it does have eSATA ports, which I guess means you can plug a hard drive or an external GPU directly into it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and that external GPU would be sweet for uh, video editing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, or just like I hate waiting for exports, so I'm wondering like how that works. But uh, it's CalDigit Doc. Check it out if you're interested, and you have. Tons of money to burn, <laughs> but uh, I'm really happy to to finally just have a single plug. I can I can get up and go whenever I want. Just have to plug this one thing in. Awesome, yeah, looks cool. Sweet. Well, that's it for this episode. Um, make sure you like, subscribe. That's YouTube. What do you do on a podcast? You review. Uh, you subscribe uh, and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Westboss W E S B O S. I'm at S. Tolinsky or at Level Up Tuts. Awesome. Until next time, we'll we'll see you then. See ya. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all our shows. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player and drop a review if you like this show. Until next time. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>